0: Can you imagine living in a time where human sacrifice was considered a divine act, critical to maintain the balance of the cosmos? Throughout history humans have ritualised sacrifice, be it human, animal, or self-sacrifice, and in this video we are going to look at these rather profound acts with particular emphasis on human sacrifice, and specifically within Indo-European culture. And as part of this, I will talk about the various rituals so we can understand the motivation and meaning behind them. Now, before I invite you to drink a cup of tea and watch along, there will be discussion that well touches on themes that some may find distressing, such as the harming of animals and people, and there may be imagery that you will also find disturbing. And so if such content is uncomfortable for you, I've linked an alternative video featuring happy things that you might enjoy instead. However, I assure you our objective here is purely academic, seeking understanding and context of historical practices and not glorification. And so for those of you that are still here, then grab yourself a cup of tea and welcome to Creganford. The Indo Europeans are a diverse group of people bound by a common linguistic heritage. Their tongues can be traced back to a language, Proto Indo European, and these people that spoke Proto Indo European would have shared common beliefs, as well as common myths that helped inform those beliefs. And as these people migrated from the Caspian Pontic steppe across Europe, the Middle East, and India, their mythic narratives evolved, shaped by the changing landscape, environment, and social conditions, and so for us, any study of rituals sacrificed amongst the Indo-Europeans must consider rituals from the ancient Vedics, to the offerings made to the gods in Greece and Rome, and to the sacrificial customs of the Germanic and Celtic peoples. The sacrifices themselves can be broadly categorised into three types, self-sacrifice, animal sacrifice, and human sacrifice. And I will first touch on self-sacrifice and animal sacrifice to allow some context to be understood before I talk about the intricate and often unsettling view of human sacrifice. For those that have followed Ford since its beginnings, you will be aware that I have spoken about the Proto-Indo-European myth of creation and the cosmogony of the Indo-European beliefs. And within these, there is much talk about sacrifice. The reconstruction of the creation myths I most commonly use is influenced by the work of Bruce Lincoln, a religious historian, and David Anthony, an archaeologist. And whilst it is not perfect, it certainly brings to light the idea of self-sacrifice. Within this myth we see Two primordial beings of the cosmos, the beings born at the beginning of time, a time before they were even gods, and these beings were called Manu and Yemo. And after many eons of drifting through the cosmos, they wanted a home. And so Yemo tells Manu that he is willing to be sacrificed to build this home. And so Manu sacrifices Yemo and so Yemo's body is given to the cosmos, and in return the materials are provided to build a home. And this is the early cosmogony of the Indo-Europeans, you should give to the cosmos what you take, and so if you want to build the earth and people to live upon it, you have to give the cosmos something. And in this myth, the cosmos was given Yemo. Indo-Europeans considered this symbolic act of self-sacrifice, as key to their beliefs, and the idea is found in the mythology that remains in many of the cultures of the Indo-Europeans, normally within their creation myth. But we also see self-sacrifice as a means to acquire knowledge or achieve a divine union. In India, where we have the Vedic culture who wrote what is considered the oldest religious text we know, called Rig Veda, and for those who say the epic of Gilgamesh is older, Well it is, but it isn't considered a religious text, and so within the Rig Veda there is a hymn known as the Purusa hymn, hymn 1090, which tells of the sacrifice of the primordial twin Purusa to help create the cosmos. And for reference Purusa is sometimes referred to as Prajipati, and this is a clear evolution of the motif of the sacrifice of Yemo, from the time of the earlier Indo-Europeans. And I'll read part of this hymn now, which shows how Perusa's body is being used to create animals and eternal life, in heaven. So much is his greatness, but the man is more than this. A quarter of him is all living beings, three quarters are the immortal in heaven. With his three quarters the man went upward, but a quarter of him came to be here again. From there he strode out in different directions toward what eats and what does not eat. From him the Viraj was born, from the Viraj the man. Upon his birth he reached beyond the earth, from behind and also from in front. When, with the man as the offering, the gods extended the sacrifice. Spring was its melted butter, summer its firewood, autumn its offering. On the ritual grass they consecrated that sacrifice, the man born at the beginning. With him the gods sacrificed also the sadhares and those who were seers. From that sacrifice, when it was offered in full, the clotted butter mixture was collected. It was made into animals, those of the air, and both those that belonged to the wilderness and those that belonged to the village. From this sacrifice, when it was offered in full, the verses and chants were born, meters were born from it, the sacrificial formula from it, that was born. From it horses were born, and whatever animals have teeth in both jaws. Cows were born from it, from it were born goats and sheep. Within the Roman tradition, they too have a creation myth, but it has lost its primitive meaning and is now a reflection of the creation of Rome. Within this myth we see Remus killed by Romulus, a nod to a blood sacrifice of a twin, much as you see the same way as Indo European Yemo, And we also see a castration of the primordial gods in the Greek creation myths, such as that of Kronos, which is also considered by some as a reflection of sacrifice of of, emo. Although if this is the case, then it would also suggest that the idea of self-sacrifice is not one from the Proto-Indo-Europeans, but from the Near East agricultural farmers. And so an earlier ancestral belief. But this is an exceptionally complex piece of research to to unravel and one I will look at specifically in a future video. And in order for me to make it, you'll need to self sacrifice a few seconds of your time by pressing the like and subscribe button. Which will make the YouTube gods slightly happier. I hope. So thank you for doing that if you have. But There are other examples of self-sacrifice within Greek mythology, such as we have the suffering of, uh, or the suffering punishment of Prometheus, whose liver was eaten every day, who gave the knowledge of fire to humans, which is an example of self-sacrifice for the greater good. And this has some mirroring with the Roman hero, Mucius Scaevola, who demonstrated his courage and loyalty to Rome by placing his hand into a fire, and so enduring pain to secure his city's safety. In Nordic mythology we see the self-sacrifice of a primordial being, Ymir, by Odin and his brothers, and this body is used to create the world which aligns with the Vedic myth and the myth of Rome and Romulus and Remus, and so aligns with the Indo-European myth of Manu and Yemo. But perhaps a better known example, and a prime example of self-sacrifice, is that of Odin hanging himself, and then piercing himself with a spear on the Yggdrasil, the world tree in Nordic mythology, and it's found in stanzas 138 and 139 of the Hovermol in the Poetic Edda. I know that I hung from a branch of a windswept tree for nine long nights marked by a spear and dedicated to Odin, myself to myself on that tree of which no one knows where its roots go. No one gave me food nor drink, and as I looked down, searching, I took the runes Shrieking, screaming, I took them, and only then could I fall back. The general academic consensus of this stanza is that it is about self-sacrifice, a ritual to acquire knowledge and magical wisdom in a process that could be described as a shamanic ritual. But these verses hold so much mystery that many books have been written on the subject, and I've even made a video about it here. Now there's also an example of self-sacrifice in Celtic mythology in the story of Ku Caleen where Ku tied himself to the standing stone, or a standing stone, so his enemies wouldn't think he was mortally wounded as it kept him standing, and then he carried on fighting and winning his fight, again demonstrating the concept of self-sacrifice in the face of adversity, much like Prometheus or Mucius Scevola. And so the idea of self-sacrifice reveals itself amongst these examples as being for the greater good, even if a personal quest. It is that person's belief that what they are doing is for the best of everyone, and quite often for the establishment or continuation of their realm. And so this is in a way, well it ties with the motif that the king is the land and the land is the king, something I talk about more in this video. When it comes to animal sacrifices within Indo-European ritual, we see that these commonly performed as a means of pleasing the gods, appeasing the deities, ensuring fertility and prosperity for one's being and their community, but also for maintaining social and for what would best be described as cosmic order. In ancient Rome, animal sacrifices were an integral part of religious life, although the ritual offerings were made to the gods in a number of forms, with the holocaust, a name for a burnt offering, and theestiae, the name for a communal feast, being two. These sacrifices included animals such as bulls, sheep, and pigs, with their blood used for purification and their meat distributed amongst the worshippers, and it is the ancient Romans who have probably left us the best descriptions of these sacrifices, and I'll give descriptions of two of these. The first is by Cato the Elder in his work *De Agri Cultura, which is the oldest surviving complete work of Latin prose in existence, and I will read sections 139 and 140 from it. The following is the Roman formula to be observed in thinning a grove. A pig is to be sacrificed, and the following prayer said, Whether thou be god or goddess to whom this grove is dedicated, as it is thy right to receive a sacrifice of a pig for the thinning of this sacred grove, and to this intent, whether I or one at my bidding do it, may it be rightly done. To this end, in offering this pig to thee, I humbly beg that thou wilt be gracious and merciful to me, to my house and household, and to my children. Will you agree to receive this pig which I offer thee to this end? If you wish to till the ground offer a second sacrifice in the same way, with the addition of the words, for the sake of doing this work. So long as the work continues, the ritual must be performed in some part of the land every day. And if you miss a day, or if public or domestic feast days intervene, a new offering must be made. And then we see a much more graphic ritual, which is written down by Prudentius, called the Torah Bolium of Magna Mater. The Bull Sacrifice to the Earth Mother, which is about the sacrificing of a bull for Atia, a niece of Julius Caesar. The ritual is described as follows. The high priestess who is to be sanctified, in this case Attia, is taken to a pit dug in the ground below where the sacrifice of the bull is to take place. She is beautifully adorned, her hair combed back under a golden crown, and she wears a silken toga. Over this pit there is a wooden floor made of planks woven together but with spaces between them like a mesh, and this mesh is supplemented with additional holes bored through the wood. On top of this is lit a huge ball with flowery garlands about its flanks, and with its horns sheathed and its forehead covered in gold, a metal plate cover its body. The priests, according to ritual, then pierce the bull's breast with a sacred spear, The deep wound sends out a torrent of warm blood which flows across the wooden boards and finds the gaps and holes which await. And by these paths a rain of blood occurs into the pit where the priestess stands. She stands there catching the blood in her hands and hair, and then will throw back her head so her face, her eyes, her ears, her nose, her lips are all covered with the bull's blood. And then she will open her mouth, not just to taste but to drink the blood. The stiff corpse of the bull that lays above her is then dragged off the boards, and the priestess in her bull's blood outfit then comes forth and shows herself. And at this point, the priests rejoice, for the priestess is reborn for eternity. Now for people who want to see a depiction of this, and a warning, it is very graphic, then I would recommend watching the HBO series Rome, it has a very good depiction of this, and I'm sure you could find it on YouTube if you searched around. Now we know that the Romans were very much influenced by the Greeks, and the Greeks had their own sacrifices too. The feasts here were known as thesia, and they were a central aspect of sacrificial ceremonies where animals were given to their associated gods. So A bull would be for Zeus, or a goat for Dionysus, or doves for Aphrodite, and we also see in the classic texts such as the Odyssey and the Iliad reference to sacrifice, such as in the Odyssey where it says in book 3, The people of Pylos were gathered on the seashore to offer sacrifice of black bulls to Neptune, lord of the earthquake. We also see animal sacrifices playing significant ritual roles. In the religion of Germanic and Celtic peoples. Here their rituals were called blot, meaning blood, and these involved the sacrifice of animals, with the blood spread over the ground of the religious site, as well as the altars and participants, in an act that both honoured the gods and ensured fertility and prosperity amongst those there. There is one particular description by of Bremen who described a ritual at Uppsala in Sweden, which happened every nine years, as nine was an important number to the Nordic people. And here he tells us that the sacrifices of every living thing that is male, they offer nine heads with the blood of which it is customary to placate gods of this sort. And so we should imagine nine bulls and nine rams and nine mares and so on. But perhaps one of the most extravagant rituals in animal sacrifice comes from the Vedic culture in India, where animal sacrifices were a real central part of the religious practices, with many encompassed by significant rituals lasting days or weeks, and some were over a year long. Now, there were a number of different types of animal rituals in Vedic culture, and it is important not to confuse rituals with animals as defaulting to animal sacrifice. For example, there was the ritual of the Gavamayana or path of the cow, and with the cow being sacred it was not sacrificed as part of this ritual. However, other animals were not so lucky. Now part of the ritual of sacrifice included working with a plant extract called soma, which was made during rituals, and was consumed as part of that ritual, and we see warriors went out to kill the dragon, and so to rescue cattle. Part of the cattle raiding myth we see in Indo-European culture used this. Now, this part of the ritual involving soma was known as Agnistoma, which means praise of Agni, a prominent Vedic god associated with fire. And this ritual was performed over a number of days and seems to be the foundation for many other rituals involving Soma. Now, the purpose of Agnistoma ritual is to ensure the well being and prosperity of the sacrificer and involves preparing and taking the Soma, letting the Soma leave the body, and then drinking this. And this reconstituted Soma leaves the body again, although this time it usually leaves in different ways to the first consumption. Uh, And it is most probable that the earliest forms of this ritual would have involved animal sacrifice, especially if cows had been rescued as part of the cattle raid, and then the ritual concludes with rites and rituals to other gods and ancestors and the cosmos. But as for the extravagance of ritual, then the most significant of these was the Ashvamedha, or horse sacrifice, conducted by kings to assert their power and sovereignty alongside seeking a divine blessing. Now the ritual is complex, a highly symbolic ceremony described within the Rigveda, the Yajurveda, and various Prahama texts, the Ashvamedha ritual itself, took a year to complete, and required the careful selection of a white or a light coloured stallion, which was then adorned with symbols of power and then left free to roam for a year, whilst it was protected by warriors. Now, Wherever this horse roamed signalled that the king performing the ritual ruled that land, and if the people on the land disagreed, a battle would take place thus allowing the king, if successful, to take the land as his. And then once a year had passed, the horse was brought back to the king, and it was purified and presented to the highest priest in the court. The ceremony would then continue with the queen symbolically uniting with the horse in a private ceremony, after which the horse was sacrificed with its parts offered to Indra and other deities, and the result of all this was that the king was considered pure and hailed as a great ruler and festivals and celebrations were held for the completion of the ritual. Whilst it can be a difficult subject to talk about, and one That is too often not talked about, human sacrifices did happen. So let's examine the various forms that took place. Now there is a mix of contradictory information about human sacrifice within the Vedas and the Vedic culture, and we see within the 13th book of the Sukla Yajurveda, written in the late 2nd millennium BCE, that there is a description of men that were to be included in the ritual. But the text only describes them as being tied to a stake, and many see this as a symbolic act with the men released afterwards. we may never know what actually happened, as the number of times this ritual would have happened would have been relatively small, and so evidence is really difficult to find and to fully understand if anyone was actually sacrificed. But personally, I think it would be unlikely that there were no human sacrifices ever taking place within the Vedic culture. The Indo European influence here may have allowed the ritual to happen in the earliest days of the civilization. That really is pure speculation on my part. But one of our best sources for understanding human sacrifice is Herodotus, who, within his work Histories, describes 14 cases of executions which can be read as being human sacrifices, which themselves were modeled on the rituals of animal sacrifices. And almost all of these cases are of non-Greek cultures making these sacrifices, with the exception of one case being a sacrifice being performed by the Greeks at the sanctuary of Zeus Laphysios in Book 7, 197. And so it could be considered that Herodotus was biased in his portrayal of Greece when compared to other cultures trying to reflect a more civilised society. And we can see in the playwright Euripides' tragedy, Iphigenia, in Toilis, the depiction of human sacrifice seemingly containing echoes of Herodotus's descriptions. And I will read a contemporary translation of a passage from Histories to give you an example of an interesting sacrifice. There was a festival of Hera in Argos, and the mother of two boys absolutely had to be conveyed to the temple by a team of oxen. But their oxen were still in the fields, and so the mother's boys took the yoke upon their own shoulders, for time was of the essence. They pulled the wagon for five miles, their mother riding on it, and at the end of this journey, they arrived at the Argiven temple. People around the temple saw the bulls pulling the cart, and the boys were aware of this, and so their lives came to an excellent end, and in their case the God made clear that for human beings, it is a better thing to die than to live. The Argive men stood around the boys and congratulated them on their strength. The Argive women congratulated their mother for having raised such strong children. She was overjoyed at their feet and at the praise, and so she stood before the image of the goddess and prayed that the goddess might grant the best thing for her. After this prayer, they sacrificed and feasted. The boys were laid down in the temple and went to sleep and never rose again death held them there. We also see in the Greek myth of Iphigenia that she is sacrificed by her father Agamemnon to placate Artemis, and so secure favourable winds for the Trojan war, and this demonstrates the extremity of such acts, although if you were Herodotus you would have considered it significant that this actually takes place in Egypt, so again outside of Greece. But human sacrifices did happen in Greece, we know a ritual called Pharmacus, using a human as a scapegoat, and in these we often see less fortunate people, so those who were criminals or slaves or very sick, being thrown off a cliff. And then there are more mythologically based sacrifices such as the ritual human sacrifice within Cretan a tradition with seven people sacrificed to the Minotaur which happened in Crete with King Minos ordering this sacrifice. The practice of human sacrifice continued into Rome, although it is thought to be less frequent than in Greece, with human offerings being replaced with symbols or animal offerings. But sacrifices did take place, and in different forms. For example, we see in Roman culture, we see the sacrifice of the Vestal Virgins through being buried alive as a form of reparation to the gods during times of crisis. We also see Livy describe the sacrifice of four people from outside of Rome, two Gauls and two Greeks, in an effort to protect Rome from the invading Hannibal. And these people were buried in a chamber underneath the cattle market in Rome, a sacrifice that was known to have happened before there. It is also Interesting to note that the killing of captured enemies, even their leaders, was not considered sacrifice and was not ritualised in a religious setting. Execution was not considered sacrifice. Human sacrifice, whilst not particularly widespread and common amongst Germanic cultures, did play a significant role in their religious and social practices during times of crisis, and Particular celebrations, but we have to remember these tribes were very localized, and so what we record in one tribe does not really necessarily mean that other tribes were doing exactly the same thing. Now, the earliest accounts of human sacrifice amongst Germanic tribes comes from Tacitus, who wrote that the Subians, one of these tribes, practiced human sacrifice to the gods which he interpreted as Mercury and Isis, which probably would have been the equivalent of Odin and Freya. He also claimed that the Germanic tribes sacrificed Roman commanders and officers after their victory in the Battle of Teutoburg Forest as a form of thanksgiving. And we also see Jordanes uh, writing in his book The Origins and Deeds of the Goths that the Goths sacrificed prisoners of war to Mars displaying their severed arms on tree branches. One example of a sacrifice written by Tacitus involved a ritual where a cow pulled a cart with a representation of the goddess Nerthus on it, and at the end of the ritual the cart and the cow and items of the ritual were washed by slaves, and then the slaves were sacrificed almost certainly because they have touched divine items and so are not allowed to carry on in the living world. our world. And Alongside the Germanic people we have the Vikings, where we see evidence of human sacrifice due to ritual burials, uh, with one of the most well known examples being from Ibn Fadlan's account of a Varangian chieftain's funeral dated to 922 CE, which illustrates the belief that an enslaved woman would become the wives of the warriors in Valhalla upon their death and this theology is then seen in archaeological findings, such as the ship burial at Baladul on the Isle of Man, and the Usberg burial in Norway. Now with conversion to Christianity, the sacrifices eventually disappeared, but we do see Adam of Bremen's description of sacrifices at the Temple of Nubsala, where alongside the animals that were sacrificed every nine years, which I mentioned earlier, he also indicates that humans were sacrificed, so nine men and we do also read of sacrifices taking place within the Viking sagas, including the willing sacrifice of King Domaldi and King Un's sacrifice of his own sons to Odin. We also see human sacrifice in Celtic culture where, as an extension of the world being built from the primordial being, and the king being made also from this being, then the ritual killing of the king during times of hardship in the land served to appease the gods and restore balance which I talk about more in this video. But then there is a description of the sacrifice of the Druids when the Romans attacked the Isle of Anglesey, which I talk about in this very short video, where I explain how the killing of the Druids on Anglesey was probably a mass ritual sacrifice, and not actually the result of Roman warfare. If we go back to Herodotus' writing, he also describes a particular case from the Ghetto Dacians, a tribe of Thracians, which stands out as it reactualizes direct relations between the Getae and their god. The account given by Herodotus reads as follows Once in every five years, the Dacians choose by lot one of their people and send him as a messenger to Zalmoxis, charged to tell of their needs. And this is their manner of sending. Three lances are held by men thereto appointed. Others seize the messenger to Zemoxis by his hands and feet and swing and hurl him aloft onto the spear point. If he be killed by the cast, they believe that the god regards them with favour. But if he be not killed, they blame the messenger himself, deeming him a bad man and sending another messenger in place of him who they blame. It is while the man yet lives that they charge him with the message. Now what is interesting here is that the man sacrificing the days in ritual was not a prisoner of war, a slave or a criminal, as in many cases a human sacrifice, but rather a free man, and quite possibly an initiate into the mysteries established by Zalmoxis, which reinforces the idea as a renewal of the relationship between Zalmoxis and his worshippers, And this is some credence, as the myth around Salmoxis is that he went away and hid in a cave to learn about immortality for three years, and when he came back, people considered him well immortal. And this five year cycle within the sacrificial ritual may have been designed to match a version of this story which had a a five year cycle rather than a three year cycle. And as an aside, many see this as another version of the dying and rising god motif, which i discuss more about in these videos. So earlier on I mentioned that sacrifice within Indo-European culture extends beyond the physical act of offering. It can carry significant symbolic and functional aspects that have influenced these cultures. And so let me talk about some of these. A key aspect of sacrifice is the symbolism it offers around the restoration of cosmic order and renewal, uh, particularly when the cosmos has been diminished in some way. This restorative act of offering is believed to restore the cosmic balance, and so to strengthen the bond between the divine and their people. And this ties in closely with the creation myths of the Indo-Europeans, the act of Sacrifice replenishes what was taken as the cosmos was created from the primordial being Yemo, or an equivalent, like Ymir, or Gaonat or Yama, or Yima, and when the material is taken away to create new people, or strength, then it must be replaced. We also see in the case of the Thracians, sacrifice to communicate with the gods. Now, this is slightly unusual as this is very much an Asian influence, and according to Eliade, a Romanian religious historian known for his work around comparative mythology, uh, he said that this type of sacrifice is especially prevalent in Southeast Asia and the regions adjoining the Pacific, where slaves are immolated to to inform the ancestors of their descendants' desires. Now, slaves were not used here, and it may be because the people being offered want to be able to Actualize a meeting with the primordial being themselves to communicate directly and in concreto with the gods. We also find instances of human sacrifice performed with the belief that it would placate the gods, thereby uh, securing good fortune, fertility, and communal protection. And in these cases, the human offering was selected from the extremes in society as a severe form of punishment, or as an honour for the deceased, the latter of which could also be considered a form of self-sacrifice. We can also see from this that ritual sacrifices enforced religious doctrines which then helped reinforce social cohesion, and so established order within communities, and this was necessary for the hierarchy, be it kings or priests, And the warriors and the providers. And so the act of sacrifice enabled a social performance, but reinforced social order. A more critical perspective would be to think that in some cases, sacrifice was a way to reinforce social hierarchies and maintain power structures by sacrificing members of lower classes or slaves and prisoners of war, rulers and elites could project their authority by showing control over life and death. There are some who suggest that sacrifice could also have served as a way to reinforce gender roles, women and children were much more likely to be sacrificed than men, certainly when it came to rituals that were focused on society and appeasing the gods, but I must point out that this is quite a broad view as The Indo-European landscape is huge in terms of its size and its timeline, and we see many sacrifices in war which would have been male dominated, and understanding the, the numbers that took place is next to impossible. However, what remains less understood is the profound impact that human sacrificial rituals may have had on the individuals involved, including both the witnesses. And those performing the rituals. Some researchers suggest that the intense emotional experience of being sacrificed, or of witnessing others being sacrificed, could have led to altered states of consciousness, or transcendental experiences. Others argue that the psychological trauma of being selected for sacrifice, or of witnessing loved ones being sacrificed could have had long lasting negative effects on individuals and communities. This may have particularly affected the priests who have performed many of these. And so it is perhaps these considerations and the development of civilizations which saw the diminishing prevalence of human sacrifices within Indo-European culture. It certainly seems like the cost of sacrifice in terms of material items versus the benefits being seen from those sacrifices in effect an an ancient version of Catholicism which may have influenced the reduction in the ritual, not just for humans but for animals as well. For me, the truly fascinating aspect of sacrifice lies in the altruistic nature, the notion that one can offer oneself in sacrifice to restore order and prosperity to one's realm. And this view on order is one I find very relevant in today's world, where many desires are relatively fleeting and materially focused, for me it is about the removal of chaos and for order to be created, and with that comes happiness, long lasting happiness for the realm and for the world, and the removal of chaos often requires sacrifice, although in this day and age it is more about time and money and how to best balance them. I would say that the study of sacrifice within Indo-European mythology offers us insights into philosophical thought of our ancestors, and this is something I'll discuss more here in the future. So make sure you click the notification bell if you want to be kept informed of my videos. Next up is a video on the interesting story of an event that I consider a mass sacrifice. It's a short video, but I consider it a really interesting take on a historically recorded event. So thank you for watching. And thank you to all my patrons for your support. Please stay safe and well. And this was Crecganford.